Welcome to Lightning in a Bottle, a podcast series for owners and key stakeholders in privately held companies and the professionals that surround them. My name is Josh Pottinger, and together with Jason Georgianis, we run ATX Wealth Partners here at UBS. Jason and I have been teamed up now for over 20 years, and each of us has over 25 years of experience in the financial services industry. Our goal is to bring real-world perspectives to help you prepare yourself, your family, and your business for the day that you decide to monetize some or all of your ownership position in the company. Throughout this series, we will provide our own thoughts as well as interview key people along the way. Feel free to email us at atxwealthpartners at ubs.com. And with that, let's go ahead and get started. We've got a very exciting guest today. His name is Scott Snyder. And uh, we're going to be talking about value acceleration and just some things that you may want to be thinking about and thinking through how to accelerate the value and maximize you know, the ultimate outcome down the road. So today we're going to be really focused on more of the business side of things. In some of the past episodes, we've talked about the more personal and financial items that you should be thinking through. And so Scott, we invited Scott. I got to know Scott a couple of years ago. I went through the Exit Planning Institute's program called the Certified Exit Planning Advisor, SEPA. And you'll see those uh, letters next to both Jason and my name. And, and it was a really great program and gave us a whole new level of appreciation of what you are going through as a business owner. And Scott is the president of the Exit Planning Institute and the operating partner of Snyder Premier Growth, a small family investment company. And he is responsible for the strategic direction of the organization, along with overseeing the company's operations and chapter development. And so anyway, over his time with EPI, he's expanded the organization regionally, nationally, and even globally, and put together some really nice educational experiences for us as SEPAs to continue expanding our own knowledge base. So Scott it travels around the country. He's an industry leader, great speaker, and a lifetime entrepreneur. So he's up in Cleveland today, and uh, Jason and I are, are down here in Austin, Texas. So Scott, welcome. Thank you for hopping on call with us this morning. Yeah, absolutely, guys. Love being here. Love talking about value acceleration and exit planning. So I appreciate you guys thinking of me and happy to have the conversation. Well, Scott, one of the things, and Jason, we got you here too. Hello, everybody. One of the things that you guys do is you do surveys around the country. Tell us a little bit about the surveys, maybe some things that you've noticed in some of the more recent surveys that you haven't really noticed in the past. So yeah, we do what's called the State of Owner Readiness Survey. We've been doing these surveys since 2013 when we did the first national survey. And then every year thereafter, we've done regional surveys. And then what was cool about that is that over the years now, we've been able to compare not just the United States as a whole, but different regions around the country. And it's, I think it's, it's quite interesting. We were talking a little bit of this on the pre-show a little bit that we just did a state of owner readiness survey in New York City. It was the first one. We took a year off during 2020. And it's the first one since we've done that. And obviously, kind of navigated through the past 24 months. And what we found was, I think it's it's interesting to look at generations. And why? Because I think each business owner, we're all just kind of made up a little differently per generation. We probably share some, at least some of the generational characteristics. What was interesting about the New York City State of Owner Readiness Survey is that the owners there weren't necessarily more prepared for this exit, but unlike the baby boomer generation, 
these Gen X generation, which are typically people call it, you know, from their 40 years old to their mid 50s, were more talkative about it. They were more educated about value acceleration and exit planning. They were interested in exit options and they thought a little bit more holistically. And I think that's a nice, it's certainly a nice thing to see. I also think that when you guys started the show, we talked about you guys as certified exit planning advisors. And now more so than ever, the certified exit planning advisor is more prominent in the market. And so I think that the conversation is being had and being had more often. Typically, though, if you look at ready call of readiness statistics, and if anybody is listening that is interested in this stuff, you could go to ownerreadiness.com and you could see all of these different surveys, including the most recent in New York. And traditionally, what we're seeing is the primary audience has been the baby boomer business owner. So I think the youngest baby boomer this year, give or take, is about 57 years old. So in the next three years, all boomers will be 60-year-old or older. Now, these folks are the inventors of the 60-hour work week. They have a very, they have a core value of success. And if you're thinking about a, a baby boomer that has started up their company from scratch, they've likely spent probably 20, 30, maybe in upwards of 40 years building this company that's likely their largest asset inside of their portfolio. What they likely haven't done, and the statistics would show this, that they haven't spent a lot of time thinking about what's next. They have about, I would say the statistic is about 66% of baby boomer business owners are not familiar with all the exit options that may exist for them. They think of exit as one bite of the apple versus multiple bites of the apple, harvesting value over time. They also don't necessarily have formal transition advisory or value growth advisory teams. They certainly have a core group, maybe an attorney and a CPA but they're lacking a financial advisor early on in that equation that rounds out that core team because likely, as we'll talk about on the show, exit planning really consists of business, personal, and financial elements or aspects. And if we can get those things all aligned, not only will we have a significant company, we'll have a successful exit. Beyond that, though, if you're looking at the most recent New York survey, these folks are anywhere between the majority of the folks that answered to this survey were between the ages of 40 and 49. So right in this, this Gen X generation. And if you look at their characteristics, right, they value their time. They believe in working smarter, not harder. They want work-life balance. So naturally, they kind of gravitate towards exit planning because the value acceleration process and, and conversation does just that. It, it aligns business, personal, and financial goals. It decentralizes you as an owner. And it looks at everything you, as a business owner, everything in your life in three ways, business, personal, and financial. So these folks were... You know, seemingly more educated, more interested in exit planning, and frankly, starting to look at advisors in more of a kind of built-to-sell mentality. So I think following the generations and following business owners, being one myself, is certainly some interesting statistics out there in the marketplace. One thing that you mentioned, I caught this on one of our last uh, educational series you guys put together. You, You made a comment, and it really struck a chord. And it was something to the effect, like, we've all heard the idea of, like, you know, working inside your business, you got to take some time to work on your business. But you just kind of tweaked that a little bit to talk about, you know, we're living in our life every day. And it's important to take some time away from being inside your life and working on your life, right? And thinking about things strategically and, and what life looks like down the road. And 
you know, thinking about after the exit, you know, both Jason, I think that's probably one of the most underappreciated and the least amount of time spent really thinking about it. It's kind of like the obligatory, well, I'm going to sell my business. I'm going to have a pile of money in the bank and I'm going to live life happily ever after. And, you know, we've seen a number of real world experiences where, you know, clients have not really thought through that and they didn't really have a clear direction, you know, after the initial few months of traveling and buying some things that they want to buy. <laughs> I appreciated that comment. I think you're spot on. I don't regardless of the generational conversation, I think business owners, entrepreneurs are very passionate people. So, you know, for me, you probably can find me most of the time in the office or on the road teaching and, and running and, and operating my company. It's it's not just what I do for a living, but it's one of my passions. So I do agree. If you looked at some of the price of Waterhouse, talk about statistics, looked at the Price Waterhouse Cooper study that came out several years ago. They studied all kinds of lower middle market and small business owners. And 70% of those owners, after exiting their business, profoundly regretted selling their business just a year after selling it. And it, to your point, it's not necessarily because they didn't maximize value and minimize taxes. It's that they really spent no time looking at the personal side of things. So what I said on that, that think tank discussion that I think that I would challenge all business owners with is that we hear all the time from advisors and maybe even some of our executive teams to say, hey, stop working in your business and start working on your business, right? What they're saying there is, you know, start acting more strategically, more visionary. But the funny thing is, is that most people don't turn to you and say, stop living in your life and start working on your life. Because once that business exits, whether it's planned, unplanned, whether you're thinking about it now as a business owner and you think you know, if you're not spending the appropriate amount of time, just like you would spend on your business, if you're not spending the most the appropriate time working on your personal financial plan and your personal plan about what you want to do next, then you're gonna you might fall into that seventy percent of owners that that regret the decision. And I was had the opportunity to sell my first company when I was uh, it was probably when I was twenty four or twenty five years old, and so certainly a a young man and, and a young entrepreneur in my career. But I fell right into that statistic too. It was like one of my early, you know, business lessons is that you can't let the business define you. I exited that company, had a great opportunity to exit to a like a synergistic buyer, a competitor. And I thought it was cool. So we we made it happen. And I probably spent I had a little bit of a, a transition period with that company, but then I spent the probably next six to eight months kind of wandering around, right? All my friends were likely starting their careers and I was had a little bit of cash and I looked around and say like, well, you know, I've done this my entire life. I only had one job. And after that, I quit it to start my company. And I found myself just kind of wandering around regretting the decision that I, that I sold my company until I realized that what I was passionate about is building and growing companies of different companies. And so I partnered up with my dad, Chris, and we went on the adventure that we're on today. So whether it's you know building a real estate management company, building an IT consulting company, building an education company like the Exit Planning Institute. I love working with people, solving issues, and helping people achieve their goals with the right solution. So yeah, I think that concentrating on your personal plan, especially if you're a listener in your 50s or in your 60s, if you're a listener there, that having that plan for the next phase of your life, I think is, is critical. I think for any listener, we should start thinking about our business as just another asset inside of our personal financial portfolio. And when we think about it that way, I think we come out of our businesses and look at it way more holistically than we are today. 
Yeah. And I mean, those three components, you know, the personal business and financial, they just weave together so nicely if done correctly. And that's where, you know, thinking through from a personal side, what those goals and objectives are and what are the, what sort of financial requirements are necessary in order to accomplish those goals. So that takes care of the personal and the, and the financial side. Now we're talking about the business side. So let's see if this business is even transferable, number one. And if you're the owner of the company and you're, you're responsible for everything, you're closing the big deals, you're taking care of all the big clients, without you, there's not a whole lot of value there. And so I want to go into some of the key components of accelerating the value of a company and making that a company that can transfer to another owner in the most effective way. And so let's run through, I love that paper that you put together, that five stages of value maturity or the um, the five, four, three, two, one, sorry, white paper that you, that you put together. It's awesome. So let's kick it off there on, you know, start with the five stages of value maturity and then just kind of you know, hit high level on each of the uh, topics there. Yeah, we put together that white paper. I'm glad you guys like it. We put it together, uh, frankly, with the owner in mind. It's that, you know, you could go read the books, you could look at the formal methodology, and I think just kind of boiling all the way down in a, a conversation like we're going to have today, I think really simplifies the overall process. So to your point, if we're looking at growing value in our companies, if we're looking at introducing value acceleration into our companies, the simplest way to think about it that sums up everything else is the five stages of value maturity. That's why we start there. So if you think about it, I want you, everybody to think about a staircase. And at the top of that staircase is this top landing and, the, and the, really the, the gate that we're going to walk through of, I think, every business owner's goal, which is to manage the value from their business. So in order to get to that value, take this illiquid ash that turn it very liquid and sell it, we need to harvest the value. So we're going to step down one staircase. So to get to those, to me, like those two optimal moments of our lives where we're saying, look, I've spent 20, 30, 40 years, or maybe for the younger entrepreneurs, we started out with a built-to-sell mentality. We're going to sell this thing in five to 10. We're going to take that money, manage it with guys like you, frankly, and do other stuff with it. That's the ultimate goal. But in order to get there, there's this whole process that we have to start on. We have to start down at the, at the landing at the bottom, which is identify value. So in identify value, we're talking about things that you kind of alluded to. We're, not, we're trying to understand how ready our company is to be transitioned and how attractive our company is in the current marketplace. Once we can go through some assessments in this stage that tell us what the range of value our, that our company has, what the value gap might be, what the profit gap might be, where we're strong, where we're weak. And for the owners listening, from a buyer's perspective, not necessarily from our own perspective, how ready and attractive we are. Once we can have that, we jump up a staircase and we can move into really what we call the prepare gate of our methodology, which includes two phases. We're protecting value and we're building value. So we always protect value before we build it. You could think about it as non-strategic initiatives versus strategic initiatives. So protect value kind of lays a really good foundation inside of our company. Something as simple as, as you know, do we have up-to-date equipment, up-to-date systems? Are we documenting the right things? Do we have standard operating procedures? Do we have the right people in the right seats? Do we have documented items about our customers? Do we have customer profiles? Do we have marketing strategies, sales strategies? Low-level things that begin to protect value, start uh, to decentralize ourselves as a business owner, and then we move into more strategically building value. 
So this could be culture or talent development. Uh, this could be deep customer diversification, things that then advance our value even further. And then at some point, we're going to say, okay, it's time to actually exit this thing. And we're going to go step up to the next step and we're going to harvest our value. And once we harvest that value through an internal or external option, or perhaps we're harvesting value over time, taking multiple bites of the apple, we'll eventually get all the chips off the table and be in a managed value or managed wealth top of the staircase position, which again, I think is the ultimate position for any business owner. And I think it's one of the biggest achievements we can have is that we've built something so significant that it's very valuable to somebody else and they want to buy it. So that's five stages of value maturity. So it's identify, protect, build, harvest, and manage. And in a nutshell, that's that's your exit planning journey. Scott, along those lines, just dovetailing, following up on that for a moment, you also often speak about tangible versus intangible capital. And when we have conversations with our clients as well, for one reason or another, they're crystal clear on the tangible side, but you you bring up intangible and sometimes that that eyebrow raises a little bit. Of course, there's IP and patents and so forth and the typical tangible assets of inventory and accounts receivable and this, that, and the other. But you guys have a little bit of a different take on it. And I know that uh, when we broach it using whether it's our biz equity tools or, or mouse tools and we're taking a deep dive, it's that intangible capital that, frankly, you guys have really shown a great light on that spurs the most robust conversations. So just speak to us a little bit more about exactly what you mean by that. And it has a lot to do with the people that you're surrounding yourself with, both on the customer side and inside the four walls of the company. Sure. I think this is the best business owner conversation that we can be having. Being a business owner myself, I think that it's a natural fit. So if I, the four, so we're going to talk about tangible versus intangible. Tangible is basically your accounting systems, what you look like on paper, your profit and loss statements, your balance sheet. What really powers that is the intangible stuff. And again, from a buyer's perspective, what the buyer is going to look at, I don't care if it's a family transfer, I don't care if it's a an employee type buyout, management buyout, or a private equity group, or another synergistic or, or, or strategic buyer, they're going to say, without that current owner around, how predictable, scalable, how risky is this investment in this business? How can I maintain, and not only just maintain, but can I grow that P&L without that owner, and maybe even without that existing executive team around? So to, in order to answer that question, we look at intangible capital, what we call the four C's. So you have human capital, social capital, customer capital, and structural capital. And why I say that this is the most interesting for business owners, because right, you guys, this is how business owners run their, their business every single day. Of course, we walk in, whether it's our office, our shop floors, our storefronts, whatever it is for us, we walk in certainly caring about our people that work for us. We want to recruit and retain and evolve our current talent. We want to have them operating in a culture that we all love. We want them to optimize their time and have the right systems and resources to go out and do that. And we certainly care about our customers, not how engaged they are, but how how entangled are they are are they into into our business? What's our relationship with them, and and how profitable is the revenue that they're producing for us? So if I talk to you as a business owner in that way, you'd be like, yeah, sure, Scott. Like I probably walk into my business every single day thinking about certainly caring about those things. Well, this is where another EPI slogan is, well, exit strategy is, is just business strategy. There's really nothing different. The same, same things that you would 
do to grow a profitable company that people stay at that customers love are the same things that buyers are going to look at. So we're doing stuff every single day in our business that will eventually affect our exit. So why not frame it out, be more strategic, be more deliberate and intentional? What's going to happen? You mentioned like a mouse or a, or a biz equity, an advisor is going to come in and help the business owner to assess these intangible elements or this intangible environment. So we're going to look at people. Again, we're going to look at how do we recruit, motivate, retain, evolve these people? What's the strength of the, the management team? What's the strength of the second tier of management? What's, how, what's the average turnover? What kind of professional development activities? How decentralized is that owner? If that owner left today, if that owner had a tragedy, could the executive team continue to run that business without him or her? Again, we're looking at culture. Culture includes not just what's it look like around there and what's the, what's the feeling, what's the rhythm, but includes like internal communication. So how are we talking? Do we have, how are we talking about our strategy and vision? Does the company have core values? Do they have core values that just sit on a wall or is it something that lives and breathes throughout the company and you make decisions by? Structural capital is by far for me the most robust of all the capitals. If you're a manufacturing uh, type business, you probably have your real estate, your machinery, you might have your trucks in there, you have your standard operating procedures. You also have intellectual property, marketing strategy, sales strategy, all that good stuff. And then last but not least, our customers. And I mentioned it already. It's how concentrated are those customers? How diverse are they? And are they moving? I think the biggest thing for me outside of customer concentration is how indispensable are you to the customer? Meaning, you know, obviously, I think we wouldn't have customers if we didn't have some level of great engagement. But moving past engagement, how entangled into your business are they? So that when your customers wake up in the morning and go run their businesses, they're thinking, hey, I could possibly do business without having this company in my life supporting me. And so a buyer is going to look at those four things and say, look, I might pay more for this company because it's more predictable, scalable, and, and, and ready to be transitioned. And, and for the business owners, if we're running our company with those four C's in mind, these intangibles, it's going to pay off on the tangible side too. So we always call it exponential growth. Not only is your multiple going to grow, but if you're operating your business in this way, your net profit is certainly going to go up and we're venturing towards what we call these best-in-class practices. But four C's for me, guys, is I think a great way to talk about exit because it's what business owners are kind of doing every day. I mean, if you think about it too, which kind of dovetails into the next topic, which is the gaps, uh, profit gap and value gap, right? And so working on those on those four C's helps improve just the underlying fundamental practice, which makes it more attractive as you know, folks may or may not know, you know, when you're going to sell a company, it's going to sell for a multiple on either EBITDA or if it's a software company where you're a high margin business, it might even trade off a multiple of revenue. And if you look across the industry, you'll see a range of multiples that companies trade at. And when you are able to leverage and focus on the intangibles, that's going to drive better tangibles, which is going to drive better multiples. So let's talk through a couple of the key gaps. Yeah. So you're spot on. Every business owner has three gaps in their life, right? They have a, in their life and business, they have a wealth gap, they have a profit gap, and we have a value gap. When we kind of started this conversation, we're talking these three elements that make a significant company 
and a successful exit, business, personal, and financial. So these three legs and these three gaps kind of interrelate. And then we kind of laid the foundation with the five stages and the four C's. So when we get into the gap conversation, now we're getting to some measurements. So that all sounds good. Now let's kind of tell me where I'm at. So I actually love starting with the wealth gap because the wealth gap allows us to have this personal, more personal conversation with the business owner. And if you're a business owner, it allows you to kind of think about life outside of your business. What's that look like and what that potentially looks like? Because your financial advisor is going to really want to know that so they could have the appropriate planning strategy for you. So we're going to talk about like, do we have you know kids that are getting married? Do we have kids that are going to college? Do we want to buy a, a minor league baseball team? Do we want to retire, retire quietly on a lake? What's our life look like today? What's it going to look like? And how are we going to fund it? So we're going to get to our wealth goal. Then as owners, we have assets outside of the business that are worth something. So the mathematical equation here is to say, look, I, maybe I need $20 million to retire in my life and move into the next phase, retire from my business and move into the next phase, buy maybe a couple of small businesses, mentor some people, send my kids through college, whatever it is. I know that I have $5 million outside of my business and current assets. So that must mean if to get to that $20 million goal, that I need to have a business that's worth $15 million. Five plus 15 equals 20. Now, most of the time, talk about statistics, 80% of the companies put on the private market today actually don't sell. They're only about 20% likely to actually sell your business or at least sell it for what you want. So there's likely going to be some wealth gap. So your business isn't going to be worth 15. It's going to be worth 10. So we got like a $5 million wealth gap that we need to make up, which means we need to drive some value into the business. So in order to find out what our business is worth, we need to find out what our profit gap is. And for our conversation on this show, Let's just call it net profit. So we're going to, through these tools that these that our advisors have access to, they could tell you what best-in-class performance is and what, they'll, through analysis, they'll know what your performance is. So we'll look it up and say, look, the best-in-class companies are doing 12% net profit to, to sales. And currently, you're doing, say, 8% net profit to sales. So whatever that number is, you're going to take your best-in-class, what your potential could be, minus what your current performance is, will get you a profit gap. So we know that we need to, in order to get best-in-class multiples, which we'll talk about next, we need to get to best-in-class profit performance. And so that leads us to the value gap. And the value gap is pretty simple. It's what's your potential value minus what your current value is. And that will get you to that, uh, to your value gap. So every owner has, has three gaps and you kind of work backwards. Again, starting with what do you want to do? So I think that a lot of times business owners think, I want to get maximum value for my business. But maybe what's kind of an ease of mind is that once we do these three gap calculations, we find that even though we could, if we wanted to, go out and get maximum value for our company, but given what our personal plans are over the next phase of our life, we might not need to go there. So our business, now my business maybe needs to be worth 20 million or my business needs to be worth $15 million. But doing this analysis, I see that I could like, if I could get to best in class performance, I could sell for 22 million. So the question becomes is, do we want to push towards 22 or do we want to fill our wealth goal or wealth gap? And so I think it puts together an interesting conversation. And I think that depending on your appetite for growth and maybe where you're at in your own life as a business owner, you might choose to say, look, guys, I know I can get 22, but let's get to 15. And when we get to 15, we'll have a, an exit conversation that says, okay, we're, we're hitting our wealth goal. We have enough to sell our business today. We'll fill that gap and let's go to market. 
Or he might say, look, I'm actually re-energized here. I want to try to push to 22, even though I might not need it because I'll get more than gold. We might want to go do it. But I think it gives us option and it gives us, it starts to give us some mathematical equations and some some thought process around what is our business worth and, and what's what's our personal financial strategy. So Scott, when you're speaking about readiness, so there you're speaking about the attractiveness of a business in an exit and um, the readiness component. So as far as readiness goes, which I think some would argue is probably as important, if not more important than the attractiveness of the business itself, are you speaking purely from a financial perspective or are there other components of that consideration when you're speaking about, am I ready to exit? I was leaning towards the personal side. Is it purely in your mind, a math calculation? Am I financially ready or is there more to it than that? No, I think that there's certainly, I think you're spot on that there's certainly an emotional component of an exit, right? I mean, especially if you're someone, if you've owned your business for 20, 30, 40 years, grown this thing out of the backyard shed or an upstairs bedroom or a, like for me, when we bought the Exit Planning Institute in 2012, my first office was, Exit Planning Institute at the time was relatively startup. My first office was a back of a cigar shop. So there's a single office back there that we took. And so, yeah, I think there's certainly an emotional component to it, but I think it becomes less emotional if there's some personal planning. So that's why I think we lean into, so we've kind of talked about business planning. We've certainly talked about personal financial planning, but having a personal plan for something to do next in, in your life. I always think about when I, when I think about personal planning, I think about guy and gal that we knew, husband and wife, Craig and Meg. Craig was a cool dude. He had a, he was a car collector. He had like an airplane hanger full of cars that he'd love going to and, and tinkering around and picking the car that he wanted to drive. And he maybe had a 35 or $40 million pretty traditional Midwestern manufacturing company. I remember when he walked into my dad's office and it was, you know, after I transitioned my company and after I kind of wandered around, I joined my dad's consulting firm. I was always fascinated at these different business owners and sitting there listening to Craig and Meg. They really wanted to go to Denver, Colorado and retire up in the mountains and have this cool summer lifestyle and it's cool winter skiing kind of lifestyle. And they were lifelong Northeast Ohioans. And so I remember dad looking down the table and she said, he said, Meg, how long have you been married to, to Craig? And I said, well, I've been married like 30 years. And how long has Craig owned his business? She's like, like 40. And so she said, you know, so you guys think you're going to go up to this cool little lodge that you guys are going to build in the mountains of Den in Colorado. And you guys are going to spend 24 hours a day, seven days a week with each other. When Craig for the last 40 years have been running his business 60 plus hours a week, they kind of both chuckled and laughed. Oral of the story is as they started to think about the more personal side of planning, they ended up doing a vacation home, certainly in Colorado. They stayed here in Northeast Ohio. And now Craig is the guy buffing a car out of the car wash that he owns. So he's got this multi-million dollar, you know, millionaire next door kind of guy. And what his vision was is that he wanted to buy a couple of smaller businesses that he could teach younger folks and mentor them. And he has a, a built-in successor. So he hired a, a guy that was in his 40s to be the general manager of the car wash. And they're building the company, building this detail and car wash center for eventually that gentleman to buy. And Craig literally is the guy buffing out the car when it comes out of the car wash and, and tinkering around with it if it needs to get detailed. So, you know, what that was, and that was a part of Craig's personal planning that took him a year or two to kind of think through what he wants to do. We call it master planning, just like you'd have a, a business plan in your business. 
you have a master plan that embraces what we keep talking about, these three legs of the stool, business, personal, and financial. But without doubt, when we look at readiness, we talk about readiness and attractiveness of the business, but we talk about personal readiness or what we sometimes call uh, personal preparedness. How prepared are we personally to actually sell this company? Josh, how many times have we seen clients exit where they're done, 100% done, and six months later, yeah. <laughs> they're, they're getting right back into it? It's funny how, I mean, it's like rinse and repeat. We have a client, they're building a company, they go through a process, it's exhausting. You know, after it's all said and done, we'll see them, you know, they'll get the second house or buy the ranch, get a plane or whatever, and then they create so much complexity in their life, and then they get to a stage like, ugh. I'm done with all this material stuff. Now it's all about experiences and relationships. And, but they've got to scratch all those itches first, you know? And so, and that's fine. I mean, Jason, and I just love working with this, these type of clients. It's, it's so much fun. They're passionate about their business. They put in a lot of time. They make incredible sacrifices. You know, they've got their blood, sweat, and tears in there. And so having a good team, around you to help you through this. There's a, there's so m many different components to the exit planning process. It's, it's overwhelming. I think that for a business owner starting to think about exit, it, it could be overwhelming. And this is why I think, and you guys certainly are believers in this as well, that you start early. You start early and often is that it's certainly going to be a hell of an overwhelming experience if you only have two to three years to exit. But if you could be somebody in your 40s or 50s maybe even early 60s, it has some runway and you could start integrating this conversation that we've been having, this value acceleration conversation and process. It's going to be, it's not going to be as overwhelming because by the time you get to the eventual exit, talk about social capital, talk about talk about that, that intangible, it's woven into who you are. So around here in my company, it's just how we do business. We're always prepared for an exit, right? I think this is sometimes why companies can pivot the way people have pivoted over the last 24 months is because they live in this, you know, they're always trying to plan for the unplanned and we're fast and flexible. And I think that it's not as overwhelming as an experience. If you have some runway, if you're not thinking about exit and you're now you say, say you haven't thought about exit and you have something that is opportunistic, you just can kind of get a call from a private equity company or a venture capital, a venture capital company or a, a competitor, and you have a great opportunity to sell, but because you look attractive. But when you get in there, they start peeling back the layer of the onion and they're like, oh, this company's not really ready to be uh, sold at all. That becomes a very stressful and uh, almost sometimes horrible experience for you. So I think that, you know, the moral of the story there is that Start planning now, start planning often, focus on the now, because whether what's planned or unplanned, you will be personally prepared and your company will be attractive and ready. And the transition will be a hell of a lot smoother for you and a heck of a lot more fulfilling. No, I mean, if you if you go to our, our website, I mean, at the top, this is our tell people all the time, which is you have options, be informed and plan early. And if, if you do that, and you're ready at any given point in time for that, you know, knock on the door or offer, you know that you'll be able to trade towards the higher end of that multiple range of multiples and you've got everything dialed in, you know, at any given point in time. It's funny when you were talking right now, I always joke around when, when people sell their houses, getting their houses ready to, to sell on the market, it's never looked better. It's like the best that they, their house has ever been. You know, it's got a fresh coat of paint. You know, and I was talking to my wife, I'm like, 
why don't we just make this house nice so we like enjoy it, you know, not necessarily to sell it, but like put some money into it, you know, and make it nice. So, but yeah, hey, Scott, thanks so much. We've unpacked a ton of material here in a short period of time, but I'm really excited about this episode here. I know Jason is as well, and I think people will get a lot out of it. So, so anyway. Great stuff, Scott. The passion runs, it's palpable. You've been doing this for a long time, and uh, we've been uh, acquainted with you for quite a while. And the, uh, the passion is just as loud today as it was many years ago. So kudos to you. Yeah, man. I, I always joke with my dad, right? My dad the, created the value acceleration methodology. And obviously, dad has always been a big mentor to me through my entrepreneurial journey. I told him one day my book is going to be growing up through value acceleration. So certainly the passion runs deep for me. And I've seen the benefit that it's being that's brought to me and my family and, and then the extended family, my family, my parents, my sister. And people ask, like, you guys seemingly have a great family. You and dad and a family kind of business and partnership seem to communicate and, and get along. And the people that you do business with all seem to like the company. And it's truly, guys, because we it takes work. Like, I think when our kind of our winding down conversation, it, it takes work. But as somebody that's approaching me, me approaching 40 years old, it's we've created a value acceleration culture that gives me and dad options along the way. And so, and balances our life out. Like I've talked, joking with you guys before we got on the, on the show that my mom and dad have spent two weeks on the road. They went to the formula one race two weeks, uh, a week ago, and they've been hanging out with you or hanging out in your neck of the woods down in at kind of that South Texas area. So dad doesn't, uh, right now ain't, ain't returning any phone calls. So he's just hanging out with mom and that's the, it's the nice balance that, that we certainly have. So yeah, I would say, Hopefully we gave the, the audience some things to think about. And as we move into the new year, something that we could start to take action on. Well, one thing is clear, you're eating your own cooking. You know, I can just tell with the communication and the, and the stuff that's coming out of EPI. So keep up the great work and, you know, thank you for all that you do and um, helping these business owners maximize the value of their company. So we'll let you get back to your day. Scott, many thanks. Thanks, guys. I appreciate it. It's really through advisors like you that the methodology comes alive. Thanks for that, guys, and thanks for having me on the show. All right. Thanks, Scott. All right, guys. We'll see you. On behalf of our entire team here at ATX Wealth Partners, we hope you enjoyed this program. And if you have any questions or comments, feel free to email us at atxwealthpartners at ubs.com. And remember this, know your options, be informed, and plan early. Until next time, take care and be well.